Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters of the Zamboni Company. Our guest today on our episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts is Dave Sanford of Sanford Photography. Today, we're going to be discussing Dave's adventures in photography. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's it's a pleasure, and we're looking forward to our listeners getting a chance to hear from you all about your skills in photography and what it was like uh, working with the NHL. Got a few questions to get us started off. Dave, where did you grow up? I grew up in London, Ontario, Canada, which is still where I call home today. Great. Home of the London Knights and the London Bridge. <laughs> exactly. We're the real London. We have the real Thames River, the real London Bridge, and the London Knights. Correct. It, it's funny. I was up there a few years ago for a event that we were doing, and I took a picture outside the hotel window and told everybody I was in London, and then I had a few people in Minnesota uh, that were believing me. Well, you were in London. It's just... <laughs> A little bit smaller and on this side of the pond. Right. We had Corey Perry, who skated with the London Knights, played with the Ducks uh, team here for several years, enjoyed watching him play. And my uh, cohort up at our Canadian plant is uh, originally from London as well, Marty Elliott. Unfortunately, Marty's not with us today. Um, yeah, there's uh, quite a number of, of hockey personalities, players and everything that come from London. It seems to breed a lot of hockey people. That's awesome. Dave, how did you get your start into your business that you're doing today? Um, well, it, it's into my business. Um, I guess I got my start at a very young age. Um, I was nine years old when I got my first camera. Um, I had expressed interest in photography and my dad won a camera in a golf tournament and he gave me that camera and from there, that's where things got started. Um, my first love was always animals and wildlife and nature. So that's where I got started in photography. But uh, within you know, a short couple of years, uh, I always played sports since I can remember. And if I wasn't participating in a sport uh, as a teenager and, and into university, I wanted to photograph that sport, whether it was hockey, basketball, football, whatever it might be. Um, and when it came time to go to university, I had to make decisions on which avenue I wanted to take. So, um, again, long story short, I decided on photography. I had applied to a number of like wildlife and, and uh, you know, biology rela related degrees, um, but ended up choosing photography. I went to Ryerson uh, University in Toronto, did a four year degree there, and I opted to focus on sports because I thought if I can reach that level, if I can, you know, become good enough that I can become a professional sports photographer, then maybe I can shoot the NHL, I can shoot the Olympics and, and different things. Um, and nature will always be there and I can do that on the side. So that's sort of the route that I took. Um, and um, it, it, you know, I, I've been able to lead a, a very blessed life and very blessed career um, following that path. Um, I got, uh, I did an internship in university at the Hockey Hall of Fame. I also assisted the Leafs team photographer at the time, Greg Abel, 
and um, those two uh, those two jobs for me essentially set me up for my career. Um, when school finished uh, in 1997 for me, the Hall of Fame photographer that I worked under, Doug McClellan, he retired and retired from hockey photography, I should guess you should, you should say. Um, so just literally two days before the 97 preseason started, the Hall called me and said, we we need a photographer. You, you know, I interned there for three years. It paid off. They offered me the job. I started working exclusively for them. And then partway through that season, the NHL, uh, there was rumors they were going to form their own internal photo agency. And uh, those rumors came to be, and they reached out to me before the season had ended, um, inquiring about hiring me. And I kind of did a bit of a trial with them the rest of that season uh, while working with the Hall of Fame. And then um, basically at the end of that season, I started my career with the National Hockey League and, and haven't looked back. It's interesting that you got your start with a camera. We did a podcast with Kenny Albert, who is Marv Albert's son. Uh, calls some of the games for NHL. You might have run into him if you're up in Edmonton. Uh, mm -hmm. And he does some of the games for NFL. He's called all four major uh, major league sports. And it was interesting with his start, he was given a cassette recorder at the age of five. So it, it's <laughs> interesting how the influence of parents can have on their kids and uh, what their careers are going to be. But it still has to be a passion, I think. And it sounds like you have that passion for not only sports, uh, but for uh, shooting outdoor life as well. Absolutely. It's... Um it's the biggest driving force for me. Um, I'm, I'm so passionate about photography and about the things that I photograph as in sports and wildlife. Um, I'm very fortunate that because of that passion, I, I truly feel like I, I get to play for a living. I don't really have a job. Um, I mean, it is a job, but I, I love it so much and I always just want to be shooting. And um, like I say, I'm very blessed that way because a lot of people don't have the, you know, the good fortune of finding something that they love so much and, and doing it well enough that, you know, it allows you to, to make a living at doing it. It's interesting that uh, when I've talked with young people and I talked with my kids, I now talk to my grandkids about what it is that they want to do for a living, because obviously we all have to go out there and have a job to, to make income to, to survive in this world. I've always said, find something that you enjoy doing, because if you have a passion for it, it's going to make it be enjoyable to the point where it's almost not work. Um, you're in a position where you're getting to do something, I think, that it's coming across that you love. I've been fortunate in my career that I've worked for a great company that's allowed me the opportunity to see many things. And it, it's, I'm not going to say it's not like work, because you're still having to uh, create on your end, you have to get the photos on my end. I have to get the sales. So it's, it's a little different, but it is something that makes the time go by a lot faster when you're passionate about something. Oh, absolutely. Uh, time flies. <laughs> it, it really does. I mean, I know we're going to get into it uh, further along here, but I spent 69 days in the, the bubble in Edmonton um, for the return to play. And it felt like it was two weeks to me. Um, you know, it just, but that's, that's what happens. You know, time flies when you're having fun. 
growing up in Canada, can I guess that hockey might have been your favorite sport as a youth? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I grew up playing hockey. I, I don't play like I used to. It's actually been, I think, about five or six years now since I've actually played competitively, if you can call it that, men's league hockey. Um, but uh, I basically kind of retired from it um, just from being on the road too much and missing too many games. And um, I do miss playing on a regular basis. I, I play pickup, you know, periodically here and there. And, um, uh, but yeah, hockey's always been my favorite and um, it always will be my favorite. And I've been very fortunate to, um, you know, have such a, a, a great opportunity to work in a game that I grew up loving and playing. Did you shoot any other sports when you were growing up uh, in experimenting, maybe getting into it? Did you do anything where you maybe sent pictures into local papers or that type of thing that uh, helped you hone your skills? Yeah, absolutely. I I photographed every sport I possibly could. Um, if I wasn't playing, then I would photograph it. So throughout uh, high school and university, um, football, basketball, volleyball, soccer, you name it, I photographed it. Um, and university, that's sort of how I, on top of like the internship and, and working for the Greg with the Leafs, um, I did all the photography to action photography and team photos for my university at Ryerson. And it just started out as something I was doing on my own and basically went to the athletic department and said to them, um, you know, here's what I've got. And I was, always trying to uh, go the extra mile. What's gonna make me stand out above the crowd? So in university, I started strobing everything. So the big flash systems that we use to this day up in the catwalks of the arenas, whether it's hockey, basketball, um, I was taking these, you know, signing them out of, of school and going across the city of Toronto on the subway on Friday and Saturday nights um, to light St. Mike's arena. And it would take me two or three hours to set all the strobes up and all my friends would be out at the bar and having drinks and having fun. And, and I'd be on my way to do that and then shoot a hockey game and then take an hour and a half to break it down and then hop in the subway and come back and then maybe catch them for last call. And there was a lot of nights that that was a little frustrating as a student and it sucked, but it paid off because that's what led to my internship and my job with the Leafs. And then again, with Ryerson, um, you know, I ended up doing all the stuff uh, for the Ryerson papers and for their posters and promotional items. And um, so the, the hard work paid off um, very early on because it got, you know, it got me noticed, um, as I say, the, you know, doing something a little bit different than what everybody else was doing. Um, and, photographing those other sports. I think it's just like you hear hockey players say all the time, they recommend to, um, you know, the parents of kids growing up playing hockey, play something else in the summer, do something different. Um, it makes you a, a more well-rounded athlete and a better hockey player in the end. And, and I think the same thing with photography when it comes to, you know, shooting the other sports, it helped me really helped me hone my skills and um, it made me a better hockey shooter in the end. Does it? Do you think it helps to understand the sport um, when you're trying to get the shot? Um, and another question that I've got is, 
does your mind, is it kind of like Wayne Gretzky? Wayne Gretzky to me was, and it's hard to say the greatest of all time, but certainly one of the greatest players to ever play the sport. His mind was always thinking two or three steps ahead. Is your mind like that as well, where you're able to envision what it is that's going to happen on the ice to get that great shot? Well, I think it's easy to say Wayne Gretzky is the greatest hockey player ever. So I'll say it. <laughs> um, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, it's the, the better, you know, your subject, the better, you know, the game, the sport, the better you're going to be at photographing it. It's like, for example, when I go to photograph football, um, it, I, I'm nowhere near as good at photographing football as I am hockey. Um, you know, I get, I get faked out all the time. I'll think it's going to be a, a long pass and it ends up being a handoff. And then when it's a handoff, I'm ready for the long pass. And, um, I just don't follow football as closely as I do hockey and I don't photograph it enough to learn the intricacies of the game, like guys that would shoot it day in and day out. And then when it comes to, um, the anticipation and, and knowing a sport, uh, you're exactly right. Like, I think the guys that have really elevated their game as far as the photography goes, um, you do think that way. You, you're, you have to anticipate. You can't react. If you've reacted, you've missed it. So you do have to have a really good sense of anticipation. And, and again, by knowing the game, knowing the players, um, basically being a student of the game, just like a player is, you can, you can learn these things. And, and it really, really helps you um, take your photography to the next level. And I think the other thing too, is when you do know it that well, when you are a student of the game, and, and I don't know whether this is just a, a natural ability or if it's something that's learned over time, but I often say, um, whether it's hockey or whether it's my wildlife stuff, you see things in slow motion. And you often hear athletes say that. And that's, I think a super cool thing is, I'm watching these plays happen. And when you get home and you watch the highlights or you rewatch a game or something, you're like, I even question myself, like, how, how did I get that? How did I know that that was going to happen? You know, like, cause when I watch it on TV, it's not the same, but when you're, when you're there in person, it seems that everything just has this way of slowing down. And, um, and, and when, I think when you get to that point, like I say, I don't know whether it's something that's learned or or you pull it from deep within, um, and, and it was a natural ability that was there. But it really takes your photography to the next level. I think it's like athletes. Some athletes have that, and some don't. Like with Gretzky, obviously, the only person that I've seen, and it's years ago that I thought, not even not that he could hold a candle to because he was a talented player, but not to the level of Gretzky, but um, Wayne or Neil Broughton played for the North stars as Minnesota kid played on the 1980 Olympic team as well. And he um, had the hand eye coordination and he had vision and they call it that where they see things in the slow motion. It drives me nuts when I'm watching hockey. Now um, we're subjected due to COVID having to watch, classic games so i'm looking back and now i'm watching when the ducks won the stanley cup and that goes back to 2007 and they had games against the red wings and other games and it just you what for me i can anticipate where the puck's gonna go and it drives me nuts when the camera guy 
is not doing the same thing or they'll show a picture of somebody the, a shot of the goalie when maybe there's a scrum going on and i'm like going, i don't want to see the goalie's face i want to see what's going on so it's very interesting what you you're talking about uh and it is a talent that i think that you have uh david and i think some of that stuff is not that you can develop it's what you're born into and uh you really have honed it to a skill level that others don't have um do you have any shots like i've seen some shows on tv about muhammad ali and there's the shot of him uh where he's standing over and there's a guy i think in the background if i recall it correctly do you have anything like that where something appeared in the photo that you didn't you weren't intending to shoot but made the photo better is there anything like that that you can talk about that uh, you've expanded on when it comes to my sports um off the top of my head i i honestly i can't think of anything i mean there are things all the time where yeah you you're shooting with the you know a certain intent and and yes things you know materialize that you weren't anticipating and it, it enhances things it makes it better but um i mean of the millions of photos that i have now taken off the top of my head unfortunately i'm sorry i can't uh I can't think of anything, but yes, for sure that has has happened. Not as iconic as maybe the moment you're referring to with Muhammad Ali, but uh, I, I definitely keep hoping for that kind of thing. <laughs> In hockey, and this is maybe asking the same question, but we there's the Bobby Orr flying through the air. Have you captured anything um, that uh, you know, short of maybe the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup, that hasn't happened for a bit? Um, but is it something that you've got uh, a photo that would be like that, uh, a goal-clinching moment that you just happen to get it at just the right moment? Um, I mean, the, the Bobby Orr moment, obviously, it's it when it, when you're talking hockey, that's like the pinnacle of, of those types of moments. And that's something that I've always dreamt of. Um, you know, my dream has always been to shoot uh, Stanley Cup final game seven overtime and capture that overtime winning goal in a fashion in which um, stands out from the rest. So the only way to really do that is with the net cam um, because there's only two nets, only two people can, you know, one in one net and one in the other. And so it's something I've always hoped and dreamt of. And, and but I, I have yet to have that moment in a game seven Stanley Cup overtime. Um, you know, in in a defining moment, and and we can't tell whether the picture will stand the test of time yet. But just this season um, that completed in the Stanley Cup final, I, I think it would be hard to argue that maybe the biggest moment of this of the playoffs this year was when Steve Stamkos came back, and um, and when Stammer came down the ice, you know, three and a half minutes in, and and rifled that shot top shelf um i was in the absolute most perfect position for it um and got a really nice couple frames of it you know the puck coming off his stick um and then in the top corner of the net and at the time i guess i didn't really think about it it wasn't until after the cup was won and everybody's talking about you know the impact that that stammer had coming back and um the importance of that goal and uh i think maybe over time um we'll see that photo a little bit more and 
and that will that moment will be talked about um, a lot into the future. So I'm, I'm you know, I, I can't say whether that image is, you know, quite the Bobby Orr moment, but um, but I think it definitely has the potential to to be up there. The other factor in that too is that there's only a couple of photographers in the building, as opposed to a normal Stanley Cup final where there would be 30 to 40 in the building and everybody would have it. So, um, and then aside from that, I think the only, you know, something that when I do get this question that really stands out to me is I was only one of a couple of photographers that were in the locker room when Wayne Gretzky hung up his skates for the last time. And um, that moment isn't an action shot. It's not, a, you know, um on the ice but it's probably my most iconic hockey photo to date um you know with him turning around and, and hanging his skates up in his stall for the very last time um and i was you know being a gretzky fan my entire life and him being my boyhood idol uh i was i was you know right there in front of him um bawling my eyes out as i was taking that photo uh, it was a very emotional time and and um i mean i see that photo everywhere and uh, especially on the anniversary of his his retirement um, or the anniversary of his last game, so um, that's one that's stood the test of time, I think, as well. Yeah, and I think your photo of Stamkos will be down the road. And I think Bobby Orr's photo, that photo, obviously was a great shot, but it doesn't have the same, or probably didn't have the same weight back then as it does now, and it's. Uh, you know, again, one of the greatest players, if it would have been Joe Schmo uh, scoring a goal, it still would have been good. But when it is a guy of the stature of Bobby Orr, it uh, definitely is something. So absolutely. Dave, Dave, do you think that it's easier now? And believe me, I don't think that photography is an easy thing, but is with the equipment that's available today to use and shooting digital, is it easier to create things or was it easier before and obviously you notice what you're getting with a digital camera you can see what you talk as opposed to waiting for it to be developed but what's your take on that um it's it's a bit of both um and i say that because up until 2001 i shot film and when i shot film i would literally I, I, you know, I'd shoot a period and, and at the end of the period, I would be able to socialize and mix and mingle and do whatever. And at the end of the game, um, wait for traffic to clear and take off. And I would get home and I would drop the film in a FedEx pack and send it to the office in New York. And that would be it. Um, and then a couple times a year, I'd get to go into the office in New York and I'd go through the stuff. Um, the big difference now is with everything being digital, my workload is increased like tenfold. Um, you know, so digital is both a blessing and a curse uh, when, when it comes to sports photography, because there's so much more work to be done now. Um, you know, after warm up, you're uploading pictures. After each period, you're uploading pictures. You have to do captions for those pictures and process them, you know, cropping and, and color corrections, different things like that. So. And then there's the second edits, which, you know, have to go out. So that might be 100 to 200 more pictures that you have to send out in the, in the following days. So from that standpoint, there's a lot more to do when it comes to digital photography. It, it's made us, um, you know, made the, 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 the requirements of the job expand quite a bit. Um, 
as far as like the technology itself, it's it's a blessing because yeah, like you're you're right, you have that instant uh, feedback. So if you've done something wrong, you you know right away you can make corrections. Um, when I say you know done something wrong, as in your lighting um, or your focus or for a remote camera, um, you know, or when you're shooting in low light situations, like you know where they have pre games and uh, you got spotlights and different colored lights and everything, and the lights moving around and changing. Digital's a blessing that way because, as I say, you get that instant feedback, and it's a little bit more forgiving than film was. So you have some room to to make mistakes, I guess, and, and correct them in post if if necessary. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's extra work, but I also like having that control as well. Um, I don't have to worry about an image not being sharp and and maybe getting past an editor and and getting out there, um, and my name's attached to a soft focus picture. Whereas now, if there's a picture that's soft or out of focus or something technically is wrong, that's on me because I've let that go out to the world. So you have a little bit more creative control, which is nice. You talked about your photo of both Stamkos and Gretzky, and I don't know what the proper terminology would be in the the photography world but do you find that there's more raw emotion or uh the look on people's faces when you're shooting them maybe sitting on a bench uh maybe after they've taken a slap shot off the ankle um or they've just had a tooth knocked out uh versus something that's flying along where maybe you can explain the difference that i'm trying to uh to talk about here uh, with that is there something along those lines or where you're going to see the pure raw emotion in an athlete um, sitting on the bench or sh scoring a goal um you know it's funny that you mentioned that because going into the nhl bubble without fans being there that was one of the things i was wondering is what kind of emotions are we going to see what kind of raw emotion are we going to see from the players because the, you know, you don't have 15 to 20,000 people in a building who the players, they feed off of that energy. Um, and I was wondering what's, you know, what's going to happen in an empty arena when a player scores a goal? Is it just going to be like men's league hockey, put your stick in the air and nod to the other guys and maybe a few fist bumps? Um, you know, and, and as we went along, that raw emotion, it just, it shone through more and more and more. Um, and it was super cool to see that. I think that 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 was to me the indicator of like the guys are playing for the love of the game. They're playing for one another. They're playing for the guy, the other, you know, 22 guys on the roster and, and everybody that's affiliated with that club and, and, um, and the fan base. Like, so it was cool to see that raw emotion you know, really shine through, especially in, in, in the bigger moments. Um, and, and yeah, you do see that, like, like you're talking when a guy blocks a shot and he's wincing as he's going back to the bench or there's blood pouring down his face and, you know, he gets back to the bench and um, like, those are, those are key moments. Those are all like, that's what I call the B-roll footage that helps tell your story. Um, you know, when you can get those tight shots of, of a guy wincing in pain because he's blocked a shot or he's, he's bleeding or, um, you know, black eyes and, and stitches and things like that. And, and that, that 
there's a certain look that certain guys get, especially in playoff time that, you know, I mean, everybody always talked about Mark Messier and the look that he had, you know, that intimidating look. And uh, if we had a modern day player that I could, you know, say is, is somewhat similar to that, it's Jamie Benn. Um, anytime I've had an interaction with, with Jamie, I don't know him personally, but he's always been super nice. And from what I've seen being around the, the club and that, like he's soft-spoken, he's a nice guy, but he gets out in the ice and he looks like he wants to tear your head off and, and he could. Like, um, And that's one of the things I love is seeing that, that, like I say, that raw emotion come out without even using words or, or screaming or yelling. I mean, it's just a look that some guys have. And, um, and then, yeah, like I, I'm fortunate to be mic'd, uh, you're tapped into the mics that, that NHL studios uses um, quite often. And, you know, to hear that as well, what, you know, some of the comments back and forth between players and everything and, and that emotion that does come out uh, it's pretty darn cool. And as I say, it, it was cool to see that in an empty arena, um, you know, in, in such an intense playoff hockey. Can you talk a little bit about what a day in the life of Dave was um, either in the bubble shooting the, the, the games that took place uh, for the tournament this year for the Stanley cup or what it was like, pre-COVID and when you're just doing a regular day uh, on the road? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, if, if you're talking regular season hockey, um, a typical day for me is, um, you know, do whatever I need to do as I go to the gym, do my own thing in the morning. And um, I would, you know, leave usually uh, mid-afternoon. For the most part, because I live in London, Ontario, I'm two hours from Detroit, Toronto, and Buffalo. So most of my games over my career have been in those three cities. Um, I might leave home at around two in the afternoon, get to the rink about four for a seven, seven thirty game. And basically, you know, I like to be there early, get set up, make sure that everything is working so I can sit down and sort of relax, have my dinner, um, get a little behind the scenes stuff um, before warm up, then do a little bit of warm up. Like I mentioned before, you come in, you upload some pictures, and then uh, and then the puck drops. And in between periods, you're making your selects, you're doing little captions, and and you're sending those you know pictures into the desk, which then get put out to the world. Um, and it's the same thing post game. It's probably about an hour and change post game that you're doing that upload and then I'd hop in the car and drive home and, and usually get home around 1, 1 in the morning. And, um, they're, they're long days, you know, a lot of people think like, Oh, it must be nice. You, you know, you go to a hockey game and, you know, you shoot a game for two and a half hours and you're done. Like, um, most game days are, are a good 12 hour day plus another, you know, anywhere between three, four, five hours following that to do all the second edits. And then being in the bubble, it was a completely different thing. Um, and, and I should say too, when you're on the road for playoffs, like all-stars, different things like that, they're long days. They're usually minimum 12, upwards of 18 hours sometimes. There's just a lot going on behind the scenes that, um, you know, what the preparation and pregame skates and um, setting up remote cameras and different things like that. And in the bubble, 
very early on, it was so hectic. It was crazy. You know, the first five weeks or so having two to three games a day, um, I was getting up at about seven, seven thirty in the morning at the arena by nine, um, for a noon game and then leaving the arena at about 1 AM. Um, and just absolutely drained. And the problem is when you do that, you get back to your hotel room and you're wired. You know, you've just shot two or three Stanley Cup playoff games and you're looking at computer screens and you're doing all this stuff and you're absolutely wired. So I wouldn't fall asleep till three, between three and four in the morning. And then my alarm would go off, like I say, seven, seven thirty in the morning. So it made for extremely long, um, tough days for sure like you love what you do but it just physically and mentally draining and um, as the bubble went on the games got higher in intensity um, but thankfully more manageable I loved when it was two games a day um, that was kind of a, a very happy medium and then in the one game a day it just allowed you to have more you know more time to um, do your second editing uh, get things uploaded um, cause all that still had to happen. Um, even amidst three game days, back to back to back to back. Um, so it just made things at a little more reasonable pace, you know, and, and made the days at the arena, uh, 10 to 12 hour days versus the 18 and a half hour days, 19 hour days. So, um, it's, uh, they're pretty intense. Um, but, um, but like I say, I, I mean, I, I loved it and I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't want to change it for anything. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're long days. And, and those days at the arena in the bubble. Um, yeah. I mean, I was slapping together peanut butter sandwiches and I'm eating them sitting at the glass, you know, trying with a camera in a hand and peanut butter sandwich in the other. Like it was just, yeah, there was no time to do anything other than just shoot hockey basically. But I loved it. Well, I'll give you a suggestion. You should try some cheese whiz. It's a craft product <laughs> and it's great. It's great on rye bread. <laughs> or Italian bread. I've uh, I've done a podcast where I had that for my lunch with Luke Luke Robita. I was driving up to Lake Tahoe, and that was what I had. But I grew <laughs> up on cheese whiz as a kid, so I can highly recommend it. Uh, do Do you ever get to practice with uh, any of the players or skate? Go out on a skate, uh, a, a warm up skate, or a, a you know morning. Obviously, you're not going to go out there during warm ups before a game. But do you ever get the chance to skate with uh, some of the NHL players? I have um, for a number of years, for about 10 years, actually, every Friday in Toronto, we would have Friday hockey and I would play with a bunch of guys from the Hall of Fame, um, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs organization, uh, NHLPA uh, and the NHL office. And we, a lot of former players would come out. So I've had the opportunity to, to play with the likes of Mike Gartner and Steve Larmer, Paul Coffey, Ron Ellis. There's, there's, there's a whole bunch more. Um, I've played with probably dozens of players over the years and um, it really showcases how bad of a hockey player I am uh, <laughs> and, and how they can make people look really good by just saying, go to the net and put your stick on the ice. <laughs> Um, and that's been a lot of fun to, to have those opportunities. I've also played with a number of, of the women from the national women's team over the years. Um, but, uh, yeah, to go and do like regular practices and things like that. No, I've never, I've never done anything like when the guys are training here in London and that, 
Um, but yeah, the Friday hockey that lasted for about 10 years, getting to play with a lot of former NHL players, which, um, which was always very cool and very humbling. Did you ever take Tiger Williams or Phil Pritchard hard into the corner and kind of face wash them while they were there? Um, yeah, Phil, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we were lucky to have him on a podcast earlier. Great guy. And uh, it's, you are a great guest as well because it makes my job very easy. I can ask a question and you can take it and run with it and you're doing an awesome job. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. If you could, if you could score a goal against any goalie, uh, past, present, or future, who might it be? Grant Fear. Um, simply because I, I grew up an Oiler fan. Grant Fear is my favorite goaltender of all time. And um, yeah, it would be pretty darn cool to have the opportunity to score a goal on Grant Fear. Um, and uh, I, I guess if I had to pick a second goalie, it would be Marty Brodeur. Um, he, he would be my second favorite goalie. Um, and my probably my favorite goalie to photograph. Um, so, uh, yeah. I'm going to go Trechiak a little bit. Too. Can I throw in Trechiak? You he, certainly he, can. You yeah, certainly can. He, I think he's, I, I put him in the top, my top three of all time. So I'll round, round it out with Fuhrer, Broder, and Trechiak. No Gump Worsley or Cesar Maniago? <laughs> too, too much before my time. <laughs> I'm showing I'm showing my age. They played for the North Stars many moons ago, and I, I was lucky enough to to see them play, and lucky enough to see Gump play uh, minus a mask. He was the last goalie to go without a mask, the last crazy guy. Um, crazy you've got to you've got to have a lot of expensive equipment. Um, and what is that like to ensure that it doesn't get damaged in all your travels? And how do you transport that from location to location if you have to fly um so we uh i do have a lot of expensive gear and um therefore i i never let it leave my sight um so when i when i'm traveling when i'm flying and everything um i've got it down to a system where i use a 40 liter backpack it's it's made for camera gear and it is packed to the rim basically um with bodies and lenses and, and batteries and my computer and um, if I have to carry my larger lenses, like my 600 mil or my 400, um, I'll carry, I have a neoprene carrying case and I basically carry that over my shoulder. Uh, Cause I just, I don't like to check gear. Um, a, I need it when I land, you know, 90% of the time I'm needing it the same day that I'm landing or the very next morning. And um, I don't want to risk it not arriving. And then I've heard way too many horror stories about gear showing up broken and gear not showing up at all because stuff gets picked off um, behind the scenes at the airports, unfortunately. So um, so I don't ever let cameras, uh, camera bodies, lenses, laptops, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's always on my person. Um, different when, if I have to travel with lighting and, and, you know, clamps and cables and all the accessories and things like that, I'll throw those in, in cases and, and check those. But um, but yeah, the, the real expensive, fragile stuff always stays on my person. I have a friend whose son is a quadriplegic and he, he's a friend of mine as well. And I've heard horror stories about him with his wheelchair uh, traveling and what that's like and what it's arrived at uh, in certain 
places when he's got there. Have you had any emergencies and gone to photo uh, photo store to try to uh, get something to help you get through your shoot, or is it something that you just deal with the equipment that uh, you have that's working? Um, no, I, I've had emergencies. I, I, my latest emergency, not not from gears showing up damaged or anything like that. Like I say, that stuff I carry with me. So if I do damage something, it's on me. Um, but yeah, I, I've had gear damaged in, in games and in, in play. Um, most recently I had um, a camera that uh, was in the net like that I used for my net cam. And it took a Taylor Hall slap shot, um, which it didn't, it didn't damage it. it. It damaged it, but it was one of those things where um, the the impact of that damage didn't really show for a few days. Um, and that, and sometimes that's what happens. Things get loose uh, essentially from the impact, and and they you know they eventually go. Um, and there's you know in those subsequent days, guys are crashing into the net, and the net gets moved around. And um, one day I went out there. I think it was right near the end of the second round, and went out after the first period, turned the camera off to eject the card, put the card, new card back in, and the camera just wouldn't turn on. And like I say, I shipped it to Canon and, and found out that it was impact damage and um, it was a result of that Taylor Hall shot. And uh, so yeah, it was sort of panic mode because I'm like, okay, um, you know, now I'm down a camera, I had brought, four bodies with me but i was utilizing two other bodies and for different remotes and i need you know I, I different times and i've got two cameras on my person and then the camera in the net and um so long story short i did have a bit of a panic because i couldn't get a, a loaner from canon um, and mine wasn't going to be repaired in time and i was very fortunate that uh, my canon rep jim nuttall who is back here here in ontario I, I reached out to him to see if, if he could do anything through Canon and Jim stepped up and actually sent me one of his own personal bodies, um, which I just shipped it back yesterday actually to him. Um, and I, I can't thank him enough for that um, because he really got me out of a, a, a you know, not, not a jam. I would have been able to get by, but I was, you know, already a, a basically a month into this and you know, everything was moving along nice and smoothly. And then I, I would have had to essentially make decisions as to, okay, do I want to put a camera in the net or do I want it overhead or do I need, you know, another remote body somewhere else? So uh, I only had to go two days without and uh, Jim saved my bacon and, and I was able to put another camera back in the net and I used Jim's uh, as my camera in hand because I wasn't going to put somebody else's camera in the net. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you run into those situations. There's been lots of times over the years where you're, you, something happens in a game, a lens gets hit by a puck or various things, sticks, and, and you're in a bit of a, a bind. And oftentimes people will step up if you're in a real emergency situation. Somebody's got an extra body or a lens or something. And most people are, are really great team players and, and will step up and, you know, loan you some gear to get you through the day or, the week or whatever it might be. It's nice when people will step up and, and help you out, uh, whatever the emergency might be. You mentioned you're in Toronto. Did you get to shoot any of the games? Uh, I'm sorry, you're in Edmonton. Did you get to shoot any of the games in Toronto uh, as part of the event that went on this year? 
No, I didn't. Um, the option was put forward to me um, by my boss at the league. She asked me if I wanted to do Toronto or Edmonton and right away I said Edmonton. Um, and uh, I mean, like I said, I grew up an Oiler fan. Um, so the opportunity to go do games in Edmonton and out West was great. And, um, but yeah, as soon as I said to her Edmonton, she was like, oh good, that's what I wanted you to say because um, Edmonton is the main hub and that's where conference finals and finals will be. So um, it, uh, it worked out quite well. What, um, what was it like in the building itself? There was obviously some background noise piped in for the fans watching the games on TV. Was it just the the skates and the sticks and the pucks, or did you guys have a uh, noise piped in that you could hear as well and that the players could hear? Um, so the the first few games that we did, there was the five um, there was the five exhibition games that they played. Um, there was no sound for that, um, and it was kind of strange. It was like especially that first game, you know, puck drops and, and that's all you hear are sticks and skates and guys yelling. And um, so it was a, a little bit of getting used to. And, um, and then, but I found by like maybe game two or three, you're sort of in that zone doing what you do. And once the puck dropped, there was no difference to me. Um, and especially, and then once we got out of those exhibition games and, and into the actual games that counted, that's when they started pumping in the crowd noise into the building. And um, so, yeah, players could hear it. We could all hear it. And I mean, for the most part, yeah, I think they did a great job with it. It's just, it's one guy that's doing it. And just like anything, um, practice makes perfect. So as, as we got through the 81 games that we had in Edmonton, you know, he definitely got better at it and um, it sounded much more natural, I guess you would say, because there are times for sure, like, I mean, and it would all just, I guess, depend on his perspective. You know, you see something happen and then you hear a certain crowd reaction. And you're like, you know, at first you're sort of like, what, what? You know, oh, OK. You know, like that nothing really happened. But from his perspective, it looked like something did. So you get cheers or, you know, whatever. But. Um, and I talked to a couple of the players who, yeah, they similar thing where they, they sometimes feed off of that. They react to that, you know, they might be skating away from the play and then they would hear the crowd noise do, you know, like go up in, in volume or something and they turned and it's, there's nothing, you know, but it's because he had a delayed reaction or, you know, but, but those, there were those little hiccups or whatever you would call them are few and far between it sounded pretty darn natural to me um and a, a, especially like i say once the puck drops and you get shooting you're not it's just ambient background noise you know you're not focused on that um and um one thing that i will mention is like compared to a real crowd is sometimes you know things happen and because you're ingesting photos and that like I've got a tag images to send to my editors. So I might be looking down and oftentimes in the past when it's a real crowd, I would use the sound of that crowd to know when I had to look up, like, oh, the play is turning around to come up ice. And I didn't have that. So there's a couple of times where you get caught because, you know, you don't have that natural crowd reaction. And I'd 
have my head down and then I'd look up and like the play is right in front of me, you know? So um, I had to sort of make a rule for myself as I went along, like if the play is on, I'm not looking at the camera. Like it's, you know, cause I, I missed a few goals early that way. And so you have to adjust to, um, you know, to what the, you know, the, the surroundings were like. So you wouldn't miss those opportunities. It was a different world for the players, the fans, and even the photographers in having to adapt to it. So uh, hopefully this coming season, when it does get started, it will be back to a more normal uh, season for all of us. Fingers crossed, yes. Do you work for the NHL as an NHL employee or are you a contracted employee? Could you uh, fill our listeners in on how things work for you with the NHL? Yeah, so I'm I'm a contract employee. Um, basically, how, how it works for me is it's literally event to event. Um, you know, I get a different contract for every single thing that I do. Um, and um, the NHL used to be my one and only um, up until 2005. That was it. I, it was exclusive to them. And um, when the lockout happened in like 04, 05, um, everything changed. So when I when it came back, I, that's when things started as a contract um, photographer. And, um, you know, for a while there, yeah, it was it was different. It was tougher. But, um, you know, after all these years now and, and, you know, I'm able to say that it was the best thing ever because um, it allowed me more opportunities to do other things. Like I worked for the NBA for 13 years as well. And um, I was able to freelance for Getty Images and do all my own stuff, you know, my nature and wildlife stuff. And um, so being a contract employee is um, for me, definitely, uh, the, you know, the best way um, to be. It's I've got the best of both worlds, especially now. Um, I have tons of opportunity to focus on my nature and wildlife side of my career. And, and um, basically I'm only contracted for about six to eight weeks um, throughout the entire year for the NHL. Um, and um, like I say, I, I, if I can keep it this way, the rest of my career, I, I'd be the happiest guy in the world. Do you get to travel with the Stanley cup? Uh, let's call it a normal year. Would you be off with the players taking pictures? And if so, uh, how are things going to be different this year um, when the players get the cup and have it at their locale for the day that they get it? So in years past, I, I've traveled with the cup, like, I mean, all, all kinds. Like I, I it's funny sometimes Phil Pritchard and Mike Bolt, who basically spend the most time with it. Um, they often joke that I, I, spend more time with it than they do um and uh so i i've been fortunate to spend a lot of time around the stanley cup and um in a, in a normal year it sort of just depends on you know the what where when why how um if a cup has been won in in the city by the home team um oftentimes yes i've stuck around and stayed for a week um and it just depends like you know, when the Kings won it last in 2014, I stayed with Jeff Carter and, and his then girlfriend, now wife, um, for five or six days afterwards. And I just, you know, I, and it was, it was phenomenal to do things that way, you know, um, and, and 
in, in other years, um, like I flew to Dallas when they won 20 years ago, uh, 21 years ago. Um, I, I flew to Dallas and spent a week with them. And um, that was one of the, the most incredible weeks of my life, um, you know, early in my career and, and um, just so much fun. And uh, yeah, I've stayed in Colorado when they went. There's a number of cities where I've, I've been there. So it's like, yeah, it works out that I just stay there. Um, and as far as traveling with the cup throughout the summer, I've, I've never done that. Uh, the only time I've, I guess, been around or participated in the cup days are basically guys that I know. Um, so there's been a number of guys over the year that have uh, one of two things, either asked me to just come and be around and be, you know, if you want to bring your camera, you know, we'll provide the drinks and the food. And, um, and then other times where guys have said to me, I'll, you know, pay you to to do my cup day for me, um, and I and that comes from, you know, like I say, those personal relationships and guys um, trusting you and knowing that you're, you know, you're not. I'm there to make them look good. That's the way I always put it. You know, I'm not there to to make anybody look bad. And, um, you know, because there's been crazy things that have happened at cup parties that <laughs> pictures that will never see the light of day. And uh, that's that trust factor that comes in and, um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun over the years. I've had so many amazing opportunities, um, with the Stanley cup and, and at various cup parties, whether they be personal parties and or team organized events. Um, it's, you know, and, and this year is very different, obviously. Do you have a favorite NHL story that you can share with us that uh, is not uh, TMZ-ish or uh, something, a favorite <laughs> moment that you've had uh, in your career? Um, I was trying to think of a few because I, I have so many. And yes, some, some would, I guess, qualify as a TMZ type of story for sure. Um, Gosh, there's so, and, and that's the thing. Sometimes like there's so many, it's like, and then you drop this blank and I've been trying to think about it for a few hours. Um, one of the things for me, I guess, NHL story-wise, it was early in my career and I, I just referenced it. Um, I was in the locker room shooting the Dallas Stars when they won the cup in 99. And my old boss at the time, Anita Chahowski, she tapped me on the shoulder and, and said, do you want to go to Dallas? tonight on the plane with them and I was like what and she's like we do you want to go with the with the team well you know it's it's been arranged you just have to if you want to go you can go and I'm like okay but what about my clothes my gear everything uh is all back at the hotel we we're in Buffalo so I just drove um so fortunately my cousin was helping out assisting so my cousin went back to the hotel threw all my stuff in a bag he drove my car back to Canada the next day. And that night I got on a plane with the Dallas stars and um, their PR at the time, Larry Kelly was his name. He took me down the plane, introduced me to every single player and said, Dave's here for us. And I was there for a week and um, Richard Matchuk and Craig Ludwig basically took me under their wing. They picked me up at the hotel. They would drop me off. They would make sure I was taken care of like, they totally embraced me as one of them. And I, you know, going to the team parties and being, you know, involved with the parade and team photo, doing all of that stuff. It was just, there was so much craziness that surrounded it. That's where we get into the TMZ side of things. 
Um, it was, I've always said it was like Animal House. Um, it was the wildest week of my life um, and something that I'll always remember and always cherish. And, um, and then another, another cool story was, was in uh, the World Cup of Hockey in, in 2004, right? Yeah, 2004. Um, I, I was fortunate that I got to do uh, the Hockey Canada camp in Ottawa. And then I went to Europe and I did all the games in Europe, went to Minnesota, did, uh, the, I think it was the quarterfinals in Minnesota before coming to Toronto for the last couple of games. And um, that in itself was an amazing experience. But when we were in Toronto, one of those days um, on a off day, um, just happened to be at the arena and Wayne Gretzky and Kevin Lowe were there. and Paulina and Ty were quite young men and they wanted to go out and play hockey. And um, I was with Jeff Vinnick, who I was working with at the time, Jeff's the Canucks team photographer, and we've worked doing a lot of Hockey Canada stuff together. Um, I can't exactly remember how it happened, but um, Jeff and I were out on the ice and, and Wayne asked if it was okay if, if Paulina and Ty played with us. So Jeff and I were out on the ice for about an hour. Well, Wayne and, and Kevin Lowe sat in the stands about 10 rows up and just watched us play at Air Canada Center, you know, just the four of us out in the ice. Um, and um, that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, sitting there, you know, like I said, playing with my boyhood hockey idols, kids on the ice while he's sitting there watching. And, um, you know, it's, those are those little unique moments in time that, really stand out to me um you know like like it just um kind of surreal i guess you know and and that was just a fun friendly happy type of moment did you get the opportunity to see the pads that craig ludwig used to wear because i think he had these pretty huge um shin guards that Pro I think he had him for God only knows how long. The smell probably could uh, be <laughs> from Dallas all the way up to Buffalo or uh, on the plane in, for three weeks yeah, later. In, indeed. I was always always envious of his shin pads because I I was a defenseman my entire life. So um, like the ultimate shot blocking shin pads. <laughs> That's de definitely one thing I always remember about him. Yeah, he's a, a Wisconsin boy. And I think if my memory serves me right, he's has something to do or can't, might have played up in Eagle River, Wisconsin, where I think the Wisconsin Hockey Hall of Fame is at an, a, a truly old barn, if you ever get the opportunity. Or maybe you did get the opportunity to go up there. Cool. But uh, fo followed his, his career as a, a kid growing up. My dad worked for the North Stars for the first eight years. So not only did uh, Minnesota give a hockey team in the Stanley Cup to the state of Texas, but the Herschel Walker trade enabled the Dallas Cowboys to win s several Super Bowl titles uh, that I'm still a little bit a little bit raw about, but uh, I will eventually get over it. I hope. One of the things I want to get into is your other work uh, outside the NHL. I've got a buddy of mine who I played hockey with. Long story, I won't bore you with the details, but his son is a a huge Sharks fan. He's autistic, but the kid's incredible. I've had the opportunity to meet him. You've uh, swam with sharks. Could you fill us in on what that was like and what other exciting things you've done with nature, please? Um, sure. Swimming with sharks is absolutely surreal. Um, 
no matter how many dives I've done, um, you, I get that same feeling um, of just like pinch me, you know, is this real? Like, even though that shark is only a couple feet from your face and as it's cruising past you and, and you're locking eyes, like it, there's just something about it that doesn't feel real. Like you feel like you're just, you feel like you're sitting five feet away from a giant IMAX screen, you know, and, and, and if you were to reach out and touch it, that you'd be hitting this flat screen. Um, not the case obviously um and it's the same thing with i guess a, a lot of the animals i've been fortunate to um photograph over my career um humpback whales is another that comes to mind um like being in the water underwater with humpback whales and, and interacting with them it's completely surreal it's it's the best way i know how to describe those situations because you do it just doesn't feel real um even though it is it's it's just so bizarre and, um, but wonderfully bizarre, you know? Um, and um, like probably my, one of my most favorite things to photograph is bears, um, especially polar bears. I'm, I'm actually should be up North photographing polar bears right now. I was supposed to have left on Sunday and today would have been my second day on the tundra shooting bears. Um, but unfortunately COVID and restrictions changed again about a month ago so it prevented me from going north um but bears are such wonderful amazing characters they're like real life cartoon characters and to have the opportunity to spend a lot of time around them is also very surreal and it just it you just can't help but always be smiling and laughing because as i say bears are they're full of antics and and personality and um it's um it's when you have that opportunity to be um, on the ice up north or, or on the tundra or in the bush or wherever you are um, and have the opportunity to, um, you know, interact or engage with bears uh, at a fairly close range. Um, it's pretty special. And um, so, yeah, it's just it, it, everything to me is so surreal. Um, you know, like I, I, I truly. I'm humbled by being around it. Um, it makes you, I think, feel very small in this world. And you sort of like, you know, we, we aren't the only ones here as in people, you know, there's a lot of other species on this planet and a lot of species that have been here a lot longer than us and have been through a lot more than we have and are just as deserving to, um, you know, call this planet home and, and live life the way that they, they should be allowed. And, um, so when you're in amongst that it's it's very humbling and and um and uh it's it's an honor it's a privilege i think to have the opportunity to get to experience these animals in in, in that way because most people um you know only ever get to see it on on their television screen or on a on their phone through social media or a computer screen so to actually be there surrounded by um such an incredible environment and surrounded by these you know um absolutely phenomenal animals most of them that i cover are, are big predators i guess you would say it's um it, it's just it's hard to put into words it really is i think you're being invited into their world and that to me uh, like i was lucky enough to go out 
on a cruise um, in Hawaii, out of Maui, and uh, it was a snorkeling trip and saw whales much closer than on a actual whale trip. And we actually had to stop the boat uh, because they were playing. And mm -hmm. to see uh, a mammoth creature like that, that uh, is just having a good time, it's almost like you think, are these trained uh, to, to do this? Because they put on an incredible show and it would have been great. I'm not a very good photographer and I think I was just using a 35 millimeter at the time digital camera, but I uh, got some shots that I'll never forget. And some of the images are burned in my brain. So I can't yeah. even imagine what it's like for you. Have you ever been scared where you feared maybe that uh, the outcome wasn't going to be great because of entering into the world of these these creatures? Um, fortunately for me, no, not yet. Um, I have been scared. Um, not because of an animal, um, because of the ocean. Um, I, I, a few years ago, found myself in a pretty bad situation um, where I, I was shooting a reef break. And long story short, to get into the water, you have to traverse down this cliff and you're walking over barnacles and shells and everything and in and, and your bare feet. and it's before the sun's coming up and it is a sharky area. Um, and it's a very nasty, gnarly break. And um, the current's very strong. The waves are extremely large and you have to time jumping off the rocks into the water. You have to time that with the swell. And I've got a bodyboard under one arm and a camera housing that's like 14 pounds in the other arm. and hesitation leads to, de to devastation and when the swell came up I didn't go and I hesitated and right away I knew I was in trouble and sure enough I was like um and and your heart rate you know just it just goes through the roof immediately and it wasn't like I say it wasn't that I'm in a sharky area or anything it was like I'm just going to get absolutely crushed by this next wave coming in on this cliff face of this cliff this jagged sharp cliff and um and you, you kind of go into a bit of a panic mode and um i was very fortunate that um i had a good uh friend who's a, a grew up on the ocean um and and my i guess my ocean shooting mentor warren keelan and Warren was right there. He grabbed me. He, you know, pulled me away, got me to calm down. And, you know, like I, I, my housing came open. So water was going in and I'm got scrapes on me and my, you know, you're in the sharky waters and your, your heart's racing like mad, which is the last thing you need. And you have to position yourself because, and you're constantly trying to paddle to keep yourself in position because if you drift too far back you get slammed into the cliff if you go too far forward you get sucked into the break where the reef is and um that's the one and only time taking photos that i've actually legitimately truly been scared and thought like okay i'm i'm could be done for here or get seriously injured or put someone else into a really bad position um so didn't involve animals, but I mean, I do have a huge respect for, for the ocean and the water and everything. And that fortunately has been my only close call. Um, when I've been around bears and sharks and different things like that, um, I haven't had any, any hair raising moment or 
moments are close calls. Um, you know, I've, I've had situations where if you don't know what you're doing, for sure, could have led to maybe a potentially bad situation. But being around the guides and scientists and researchers and experts that I've been around, I try to be like a sponge and absorb as much as I can. And I've learned so much over the years of how to conduct yourself and how to behave when you're around these predators. And um, there's, there's, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, there's proper etiquette. There's, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And if I didn't have that guidance, um, then perhaps, yes, I would have found myself in situations that I don't want to be in. But being able to learn from those people and learn how to read the animals and read the situation. Um, I've been fortunate that I haven't found myself in, in any crazy situations like that. Well, we're getting close to the end. I'm a bit of a foodie. And if you could see my belly, you'd understand that uh, that's, there's not many foods that I pass by. What is your favorite food to go to? while you are on the road anywhere in the world anywhere in the world um i, I guess it depends who's buying <laughs> uh lobster is my favorite um uh, by far um but yeah i mean like traveling anywhere nothing for me beats a great steak um and, and going to a nice steakhouse um that that for me, you know, I, and yes, I photograph a lot of animals and everything, and I love animals. But yes, I still eat meat. I, consumption has gone way down from what it used to be, um, but uh, I do still enjoy um, a nice steak uh, at a nice steakhouse on the road for sure. Do you have a favorite uh, place that you go to that you would dine at? Like, if you could pick one restaurant to go to. Uh, where might that be? Um, I, I like, I, I don't know, as far as like chains go, I, I don't know. I don't really have, I mean, here in Canada, I mean, the keg is a staple. I'll always, you know, I mean, um, but, uh, but yeah, when I'm on the road, there isn't necessarily anywhere. Um, maybe Sullivan's comes to mind in the States. Um, they've always had, had decent steaks and nice atmosphere and, um, uh, one of my favorite restaurants is is in Australia, a place called the Lagoon um, that uh, I go to every time I'm there, and and it's phenomenal seafood and right on the ocean and a beautiful setting. So it's probably one of my favorite places to to go to. Well, when travel starts up again, you can and you get down to L.A. We can get Paula to take you to Fleming's because they've got very good steaks. They're right across from Staples Center. And they also have an awesome seafood platter as an appetizer platter that uh, that has lobster claws and tails and all sorts of other good stuff. And uh, if you get out east, let me know. I can tell you where the world's best pizza place is. Uh, that's just outside Boston Airport. And I've got friends up in Maine that can hook you up with a great lobster dinner. So Sounds um, good to me. <laughs> lots of good things. And the, the one tip I will give you if you haven't had it yet, uh, up at the keg, it's it's my favorite. It's not on the menu, but you can order it. It's called the Mega Kega, and it is an oversized piece of prime rib that uh, I think goes 24 ounces or so. And I had the oh, pleasure geez. of having that two nights in a row uh, when I was up in Canada a few years back. So that that kind of might explain why 
I've got the beard for Santa Claus and the belly to go with it. <laughs> Noted. Um, the, I think those days for, for me are behind me. I used to be that guy that would order, you know, the 24-ounce steak um, and everything that goes with it. And uh, now I'm, I'm like, when I look at the menu, I'm like, is there like a six ounce on here anywhere? You know, like I, like I say, I, my consumption of meat has, has uh, gone down uh, extremely over the years, but I still enjoy you, it. You mentioned Australia. Is that your favorite place? Like for me, my go-to place where I think is heaven is Maui. And we've got the whales and there's snorkeling and uh, not that I'm a big time snorkeler, but it, it to me, that's like heaven. And if I have told my wife, I said, if I die over there, just leave me there. You don't have to worry about bringing me back over. Just burn me, whatever it is, and leave me there. Where is your favorite place? Is it Australia or do you have a different place? It's right up there. Um, it's funny you mentioned Maui because that for a number of years was my go-to answer. Um, I absolutely love Hawaii, especially Maui. And um, um, I think I've had these discussions in the past with Paula a couple of times actually. Um, but, uh, and, and it will always be a favorite spot. Um, uh, however, I think for me, like the greatest place I've been on this planet is Antarctica. Um, the spectacle of Antarctica is like nothing else. And, and just the, you know, the, the natural world that it is, is there's just nowhere else on earth that compares. And um, so it's probably the, the, the coolest place on earth um, that I've ever been and, and one of my favorites, but yeah, Australia is also for different reasons. It's right up at the top as well. Um, you know, I've been going there for quite a number of years now, every year, except for this year. Um, and uh, yeah, I could easily, I could find myself living in, in a place like Maui or the area I go to in Australia it, very easily. Couldn't live in Antarctica, but great place to visit. <laughs> when travel starts up uh, again and you're able to go someplace, where is the first place that you'd like to go? Well, once our world opens back up again to freely travel like that safely, uh, it will depend on the time of the year uh, as to where I, I will go. Um, it's it's going to be one of two places. It'll either be the Arctic or Australia. Um, it, uh, as I say, just depends on the time of the year. But um, I, you know, having now gone almost a year without polar bears in my life is kind of crushing me right now. Um, and, and same now, um, without sharks and, and the ocean. Um, I haven't seen the ocean since February, um, which is the longest in my adult life. And um, I, um, so yeah, it will just depend on the time of the year and, and as to where I'm, I'm able to go. But those are both number one on my radar. Well, I visited your website, Sanford Photography, and my call out's gonna be to my buddy, Mark Gillis and his son, Gus, who's the big shark fan. Where can people see content? Is that the location to direct people to, to see the content that you're creating? Or where would you like uh, people to go see so they can learn more about you and the great photography that you do, Dave? So yeah, there is my website, which is davesanfordphotos.com and, and it's S-A-N-D-F-O-R-D. Um, and that's in bad need of an update. As I mentioned before, we, we went on air here. Um, that will be updated in the next month. 
Um, and that's where people can purchase imagery, uh, like my nature and wildlife stuff. Um, as far as like, if they want to view and get to know, know a little bit more about me and the pictures, um, social media is the way to go. Um, I've got two Instagram accounts. There's my main one, which is Dave Sanford. Um, just my full name, D-A-V-E-S-A-N-D-F-O-R-D. And that's uh, all my nature and wildlife stuff. Um, and that's my main account. Uh, I have a second account, which is Sanford Picks, uh, P-I-X. And that's where I, you'll see my hockey related content and other sports and, and you know, various different things. Um, and then I've got my, my Twitter account, my, at, which is at Dave Sanford again, and then my Facebook page, Sanford Photography. So um, throughout those four different social media options, um, people can find virtually everything that I photograph um, on those pages. Dave, it's been a pleasure. You're a true talent at uh, what you do, and you've been a very gracious guest to spend so much time with us today talking about uh, the NHL, what it was like, and uh, your works. And I, I would encourage people to take a look at his talents because uh, not everybody can catch the moment the way that you have. Um, uh, again, thank you very much for joining us. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or requests to info at Zamboni.com. For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you a nice day.